0: Good morning, it is good to be back with you again. Before we start uh, the message, we've been asked to take a moment uh, of special prayer. Over the past couple of weeks in our nation, we have seen uh, acts of terrorism and hatred, racial divide, we've seen the loss of life of young and old, black and white. Our nation seems to be a place of divide, where hatred seems to be winning the day. And yet we know who is on the throne. But in times like these, we are challenged in terms of who we are and what we are called to do and to be. So will you join me. In prayer. Father. Son and Holy Spirit. We have sung this morning. For your presence. For your freedom from sin. And brokenness. And yet just in these past few weeks. We have seen much. Hatred and ugliness among us. We've seen even in houses of worship, murder and the burning of churches. Lord, we need Your presence. We need Your wholeness. We need your grace. We ask you, Lord, to be Lord of our nation in new and fresh ways, starting with our hearts. Change us, Lord. Change our ways. And heal our land. Be with those who are mourning and who have lost loved ones, we pray that you would give us wisdom and guidance from your very throne. Even as we enter into your word this morning, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come and be with us. Change us and mold us that we would be more like your Son. And we pray it all in the mighty and perfect name of Jesus and all of God's people said together, amen. Well, it is good to be back with you today. We are kicking off a series called Game Changers. And as we begin, we felt like we should define our terms. What do we mean by game changers? Well, they are individuals who make a significant and lasting difference, a significant and lasting difference. The game changers make a difference in the people around them and oftentimes in their broader culture and even world. Note the difference is significant. They really change things through their actions and their messages. The world around them is different because of their presence and who they are and what they have done. Note also that that difference is lasting. Game changers and the impact that they have lasts well beyond their own lives, oftentimes for decades or even centuries. We will see that this morning. And what makes one a game changer in some ways, people believe, well, it is just position or authority. Just think about our American history. How many of our presidents can you name? Many of them have been the presidents of the United States, and yet they would not be considered to be game changers. They didn't really make a great and lasting impact. So it takes more than position. Oftentimes it takes words and actions that set game changers apart from the crowd. They have a message, and they deliver that message with power and authority and influence and impact. They often have leadership skills and personalities that gather those around them. Game changers often need courage, even courage to their own risk in life. But they are fearless in the face of danger. Simply put, they attract others to their message and their ways. In order for us to get a a better picture of what a game-changer might look like, we're going to look at a few examples this morning. The first would be Martin Luther. Luther, in 1517, tacked his 95 theses on the door of the church in Wittenberg, Germany. He intended to reform the Catholic Church, but in essence, he played a key role in the Reformation that has produced the Protestant Church around the world. Next, we would look at a young woman by the name of Joan of Arc, who helped end the Hundred Year War between England and France, and for her courage, she was martyred. Next, we might consider Billy Graham. I would ask, how many in the audience have ever been to a Billy Graham crusade? Raise your hand. Many of you. And the rest should have gone. (laughs) But Dr. Graham has preached to millions around the world. He has changed the world around himself for the better. Next, we would think, especially in this time of Martin Luther, how many of us can ever forget his speech, in Washington, D.C., where he shared at the beginning of the civil rights movement in our country, I have a dream. What was his dream? That persons would be valued not for the color of their skin, but for their skills and responsibility in doing the right thing. And then we would consider Mother Teresa of Calcutta, India, a humble, gentle, quiet person And yet a woman who took the message of Jesus, taking to the least of these, those dying on the streets of Calcutta, and she brought the love of Christ to those who were downcast and thrown away by society and culture. Now, these are all game changers. They're different. They have different skills. They have different personalities. And yet each of them has left a lasting legacy well beyond themselves. But we would make a huge mistake if we left this morning thinking that the only people that can be game changers are the great people, the skilled people, the Billy Grahams of the world. So I want to show you the next picture. And it's of a family. How many of you were born into a family? The rest of you were too tired to raise your hand. That's okay. But we were all born into a family. Now, you're a part of a family, whether you are married or single or divorced or widowed. We are all members of a family, are we not? We all have the opportunity to be game changers as family members. And we will look at that more closely in a few minutes. But during this series of game changers, we're going to look at biblical characters And we will begin this morning by looking and studying the life of John the Baptist. And the story of this extraordinary man is found in all four of the Gospels. Each of the Gospels has something to say about this game changer. So let us begin by looking at his calling and first his arrival. It is described in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 1, verses 5 through 17. I would ask you to stand in respect to the Word of God as I read this passage from the English Standard Version. Luke writes this, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Elizabeth. A people prepared. You may be seated. John's father, Zechariah, is a priest. And his mother comes from the line of Aaron, the line of the priesthood. Verses 6 and 7 here says that they were righteous before the Lord. But Elizabeth was barren. They had no child. And they were well past childbearing years. So Zechariah, he enters the temple to burn incense in the Holy of Holies. And all the people, they saw this as a solemn work, a solemn calling, and they were outside the temple praying while Zechariah was offering incense before the Lord. He meets an angel and he is afraid. Yet the message of the angel is a, a one of great blessing to Zechariah. He says, your prayers have been heard. Apparently, Zechariah had been praying that his wife, Elizabeth, would bear a child. And his prayers have been heard. And he's going to have a son. But most surprisingly, his son is not going to be called by the family name, Zechariah, but by the name John. And Zechariah does not believe the angel. He has doubts. How many of us, if we met an angel, would have doubts? I think most of us. He's to be set aside, this child, for the service of God right from his birth. And he will bring great joy to many. Remember, that he was set aside for the Lord's work right from the womb itself. In fact, we could honestly look at John the Baptist and say he was the first Christian witness. For you remember the incident when Elizabeth, who was six months along with John, was visited by whom? By Mary, who was pregnant with Jesus, the Messiah. And what happened when... John the Baptist knew that the Messiah was in his presence. Just by the voice of Mary speaking to Elizabeth, the babe, what? Leapt in the womb. He was indeed the first Christian witness. And he will live in the spirit and the power of Elijah, and we will comment on that shortly. So that was his arrival. Let's look at his birth itself. It's described In Luke chapter 1, verses 57 through 80. And it becomes clear that the child will be called John. When Elizabeth gives birth, she says to the people that he should be called John, but they say that's not the family name, he should be called Zechariah. And because Zechariah had not believed the angel, he had been what? Mute since that event. And so he asks for a writing tablet, and he writes on the writing tablet, his name is to be John. And immediately after that, he begins to offer a song of praise and worship for the blessing that he and his wife Elizabeth have received. It is clear that the hand of the Lord was upon this game changer from the moment of conception on. So we see his arrival and his birth. Well, what is the role of John the Baptist? We come to understand his role by looking at the words of Jesus found in Matthew 11 and Matthew 14 about John and the words of John about himself. It is clear that this game changer is the fulfillment of at least two Old Testament prophecies. One found in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, the other in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. And in those prophecies, John, the prophet who comes in the spirit and power of Elijah, is to be the forerunner of the Messiah. He is not the Messiah, but he is to be a witness to the light of the Messiah. Now, John is a prophet. And the history of Israel, if you read the Old Testament, is found and filled with prophecies and prophets. And yet the people of Israel, the Jewish people, had found that for 400 years they had had no prophet. Malachi was the last Old Testament prophet in about 400 B.C., and there was no prophet until John the Baptist comes. So the people of Israel are excited about what this man might bring. They are, the scripture says, in awe of the birth of this child. He is to come in the power and the spirit of Elijah, who was one of the greatest of all the prophets. Elijah did many miracles before the Lord and before the people of God. And he did it in great power with the Spirit of the Lord. Now there were two people in the Old Testament who did not see death. Do you remember who they were? The first is Enoch and the second is Elijah. It says they walked in the righteousness of the living God and they were not. They were taken by God directly to heaven. So when this new prophet, John the Baptist, is going to come in the spirit and the power of Elijah, this is an incredibly exciting development for the people of Israel. Zechariah, in his song of praise, recognizes this great blessing. His son will be a prophet and will be the witness to the Messiah, that the Messiah will come announcing along with John, and bringing redemption to the people of Israel. Mercy will now come. The religious leaders of the Jewish people at that time were trying to live themselves and to convince the people of God that if they just followed the law, they could measure up to the full righteousness and the holiness of the living God. They did not offer what we need. What do we need? Do we need Justice from God? Folks, don't ever ask God for justice. He may decide to give it to you. Be a very unpleasant experience. We do not need justice. What do we need? Grace and mercy. That's the message of John the Baptist. He is going to bring the message of redemption and forgiveness of sin by grace, not by works. Zechariah sings this wonderful song of praise and worship. He says the Jewish people will live without fear. They will serve the living God in holiness and righteousness. John will be a prophet of the Most High God, it says, and he will prepare the way for the Messiah for the Lord. He will show the way of salvation and bring peace only found in the living Christ. So that's his role. How about his life and work? First, the actions of John. Well, he dressed rather strangely, to put it mildly, and his diet was rather strange. I could go along with the honey, the locusts, I'm not sure of. I don't hear any volunteers here. But he lived in the desert. In Luke chapter 1, verse 18, it says, After he was born, we know nothing of his life until he comes out of the Judean desert in ministry to baptize. I have been in the Judean desert. It is a dangerous and lonely and inhospitable place. The desert was viewed by the Jewish people as a place of temptation and trial. And John lived there for years in preparation for being this prophet in the power and the spirit of Elijah. And who else do we see in the Scriptures that lived in the desert for a while as well? But Jesus himself, right after the baptism of Jesus by John, The scripture and most translations don't get the Greek very well. It says that Jesus was led into the desert by the Holy Spirit. But that is not what the Greek means. What the Greek means here is that the Holy Spirit drove Jesus into the desert for his temptation and his trial. And we see at the end of that that the angels came and ministered. But who came to Jesus first in the desert? But the evil one himself, that was the trial for John the Baptist as well. This made him the game changer of the living God. We not only need to see the actions of John, we must hear his message. And what is that message? It is the calling to all people to repent. And be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. John is demanding a heart change. John is not really interested in religious people. He is not interested in the externals. Rather he is seeking men and women. Young and old. Who will have a heart change for the living God. Who will live for Christ. Christ. Just as Jesus was not interested in religious people. Religion is man-made. What do we need? We don't need religion. We got plenty of religion, folks. What we need is people who have a relationship that is personal and intimate and individual. Relationships with the living Christ. Amen. That's what we need. These are not Presbyterians, David. Praise the Lord. Amen. I've had enough of the frozen chosen, believe me. I tell you. Amen. Amen. But that's what John the Baptist, that was his message. And who did he have the harshest words for? Was it the common people? The people of the day? No. It was the religious leaders of the day. The pastors and the priests of the day, what did he call them? A brood of vipers, he called them. John was not into messages of ease and comfort. He had not read the book on being politically correct. He was anything but... And John clearly understood that he was not the Messiah, but he was the forerunner of the Messiah. At the time of Jesus' baptism by John, John was clearly the more prominent of the two. The scripture says that the people had come from all of Judea and Jerusalem to see this man. Jesus was just beginning his ministry. And yet John said, he must increase in what? I must decrease. And the Scripture says that in that humility, John was filled with joy, that his joy was complete. So how did things end for John? Well, in Matthew 14, we hear the story. And because of the hatred and jealousy and fear of Herod, John was martyred, lost his life for his message to the religious leaders and to Herod himself. But as with the case of Jesus, the enemies of John and the murderer, the martyrdom of him, did not have the results that they desired. There was a French existentialist in the last century. That said, within a hundred years, the Bible and Christianity would disappear. Well, he's dead and buried. And in his own home is now the Bible Literature Organization of France. He's gone. The Bible is not. We should have an amen for that, too. (laughs) So John was not only the first Christian witness, he was the first Christian martyr. And there's an interesting perspective here. In the Greek, underlying the words witness and martyr, for they come from the same Greek root. They are related, those two words. We might divide them, martyr and witness. What do they have in common? And yet when we look at the history of the church... The folks, look at the disciples especially, who were the first witnesses to the living and resurrected Christ. How did they end up? Every one of them, except for John who wrote the gospel of John, were martyred. And John who wrote the gospel was imprisoned in Patmos until his death. So this relationship between being a witness for Christ and being a martyr for Christ is real. So that is John which you should be asking. So Rick, you've looked at Billy Graham and Mother Teresa and John the Baptist and I'm not them. So what does this mean to me? What does this mean to me and you? We need to ask ourselves, how will we respond to game changers? Well, first and foremost, our lives must be like John's and that it's all about Jesus. Your life and my life are to be about the will, the purpose, and the demands of Jesus. We have sung this morning in many verses that Jesus is Lord. Lord. What does that mean? What it means, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, is that we get off of the throne of our lives and put Jesus on it. It is his life that counts, not ours. See, the history of the world, the history of the church, is not about the game changers. It's not about the disciples. And it's sure not about you and me. It's the history of the living God. That's what life is all about. It's all about Jesus. And secondly, because our lives are to be about Jesus, we must recognize that continuing to live the way we've lived in the past and sprinkle a little Jesus dust on as a life insurance policy to get us out of hell just simply won't get it. Our lives must be different. The world needs to look at your life and my life and say, I don't understand why these folks live, talk, breathe, give, spend time and money the way they do. The problem with evil is not the problem in the world. The problem with evil and brokenness is there's too much of it in the pew. In my life and in your life, we're not different enough. And the world sees that. Thirdly, living for Christ is going to take courage We live in a post-Christian world, folks. And our message that Jesus is the only way to heaven is not a popular one. And it's going to become less popular in the years ahead. It is going to take raw courage to stand for the truth and the glory and the honor of Jesus and the truth of this holy word. It is not going to be easy. Following Jesus is not for cowards. It is going to be tough. And it will take courage to stand for Christ. Fourthly, what is our message? Our message is the same message of John the Baptist. And that is, God has come in the flesh, in the person, the Messiah, the Son of God, God incarnate. In one person, Jesus Christ, who lived and died for our sins, was crucified, dead, and buried in what? Was raised from the dead and ascended to the right hand of the Father. That is our message. It's the only message that will change the world. It's the message of truth and power and joy and hope. And peace. And our hope. Our hope. Your hope. My hope. Is an absolute hope. Because Jesus is raised. That's the life giving message. Of your life and my life. And lastly. What is your calling? What is my calling? It is to be a game changer for the glory of Jesus. And you may never preach, and you never may speak in a conference, but you all live in a family. And you have the opportunity to be a game changer in your sphere of influence with your children and your grandchildren or your nieces and your nephews and your cousins. That will be your legacy. Nothing else really matters. All the trappings of this world are going to disappear. The only thing you will leave behind is being a game changer in your sphere of influence, making a difference in the lives of those around you. The question before us is, will we answer the call? Will you be the game changer that Christ calls you to be? That's the question of the ages. Let's go do it for the honor of Jesus. Amen. Now receive the benediction. Go in the joy and the peace and the hope and the love of Christ into a world. It's looking for game changers. People that will share the message and bring glory to Christ. Go in that way this day. Amen.